1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to make work a rich and compelling part of life so employees thrive, give their best performance, and want to stay. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the Contact Me feature to message me. And let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn how to help how to help you visioneer a future of purpose by facilitating meaningful dialogue and a shared strategic path forward among all of your stakeholders. You want to talk about how to develop vitally inspired leaders and a meeting-infused culture inside your organization. You want to see about joining a Catch fire online community to take to stoke your own passion, inspiration, or purpose discovery, or provide this as a gift and benefit for your team. Or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad you're, listen, you're listening with us, and thanks for being with us. Now on to this week's program. With us today is Steve Kahan, Kahan, excuse me, who has successfully helped to grow six startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in more than three billion dollars in shareholder value. He's currently CMO at Thysotic which will become the seventh. He has just written a book published by Wiley and Audible and available on Amazon.com called Be a Startup Superstar. We'll be talking about his own remarkable career in startups and and the state of today's workplace, the opportunity within startups, and some of the keys to the C-suite he shares from his book. He joins us today from Sugarland, Texas. Steve, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: You're welcome. And make sure for our listeners, please say your last name right for us.
2: Kahan.
1: Kahan. Okay. Important. And names are so important. Steve Kahan. Okay. So. It's important, I think, that our listeners really understand just who it is that we're talking to here, Steve. You've you've got really an amazing background. And so let's help our listeners understand a bit about your powerful perspective and just where it came from. So you've been part of seven startups, including the one that you're at today, um, and all previous six of them were sold or or, or went public. Will you just quickly trace for us um, your background so our listeners understand just what we're hearing from?
2: Yeah, so uh, absolutely. For me, what I found after graduating college that the traditional path from school to climbing the corporate ladder could not only be high risk for my career, it could almost feel like a death trap. And like so many parents, my parents used to tell me, my father in particular, he would say, Steve, get your degree, go to work for a large corporation. You work hard, they'll take care of you and you will have a great career. And that's the path I took. So I started out actually working at a large corporation. And I remember about a year and a half in, opening up my bank statement, being down to $50 in my bank account. I was 22 years old, working in a cubicle of the fourth floor of a nondescript office building in Schomburg, Illinois. And I remember staring at my bank statement and the pile of claims I was supposed to process that day, wondering how on earth would I ever get ahead? And I worked long days, and the student loans would grab a hold of my paycheck before it ever hit my bank account. And on that day, I decided that I would ask myself a question, and that question was how could I earn a great living and love the work I do? And it was at that point that I decided to join my first startup. I am now at my seventh startup. It's been an incredible ride working with hundreds of amazingly smart and talented startup entrepreneurs. And, and I've been blessed to work with great people and to have had uh, a fair amount of success along the way.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate very much that you the what you're drawing on, what you're standing on for for us to be able to learn from you, Steve. And and I, I and since I do focus on the world of work, I do that because we spend at least, if not more, than a third of our lives there. I want it to be much more fulfilling than it is for most people. And in your book, you cite some really, really devastating figures that I want to surface for our listeners to give them some idea of just why what we're talking about is so important. And so here's what i find compelling in this in a time when the unemployment rate is shockingly low yet in 2019 um, it, and the economy was strong too Um, college graduates were struggling to even secure jobs, you say. And you say that at graduation, 75% didn't even have a job lined up and that the average student debt was $41,810 and that only 31% of U.S. and Canadian employees are actually engaged. So this is just put this all together here and we've just really got a recipe for disaster, I think. So would you say more about your perspective of what this looks like from a startup mentality and the opportunity for people at large?
2: Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, first of all, I would tell you, I believe in many ways this this means that we have an epidemic on our hands, mm-hmm. and this is when the economy is good. That's all you read about is how great the economy is, how uh, it's very much a a full uh, full uh, economy from the perspective of jobs, and um, and basically uh, a, a, an interesting. Uh, sort of story, a friend of mine, uh, Josiah Sternfeld, who's a professor at the University of Texas McCombs School of Business, when he asks his students where they plan to work when they graduate, the overwhelming majority say a large corporation, and there are 46,000 startups just in the United States alone, and these startups are desperate to hire. Right, and so when you look at these numbers, just as it relates to the average student loan debt, uh, that a number of uh, good percentage, roughly a third of U.S. and Canadian employees are not engaged and at work, or that uh, those that are graduating college don't have jobs. This is this is against a backdrop where startups are desperate uh, for hiring, and that connection from those who could have a job to the companies that might desperately need those people just is not happening
1: mhm yeah, and I'm I'm very focused, Steve, on my in my in my book that I'm writing, in the work that I do when I'm out speaking, and uh, in my programs, on helping to make work, you know, really fulfilling and meaningful. In fact, just today I was working on some of the marketing, the the market piece of it. And know since you've got your book out already, you'll appreciate this. But I did a quick search today on the web, and I just typed in "Why is work so boring?" and I got 113 million search results. I typed in "Why does work suck so much?" 29 million, five hundred thousand. Um, isn't there more in life, 729 million. So there's clearly, right, some, such an opportunity to really make life and work so much better than it is. Um, you know, pe- people feeling stuck, you you talked about that also in, in your search results, but, what, what you got. But so what I'm really focused on is trying to help people live that, that meaningful, fulfilled life and certainly in their work. And that's another reason that I wanted to have you on the show, Steve, because I really get the strong sense that you just, you play at work.
2: Absolutely. I mean, when you sort of look at a startup environment, let me let me put it in perspective. At least the first startup that that I joined, and I've had uh, you know very interesting experiences. So I made all the mistakes when I joined my first startup, and I remember on my very first day, I looked in the office next to mine, and there were people unplugging the copy machine, putting it on a dolly, yeah, and literally yes. rolling it right out of the office. <laughs> And what I came to find out a few days later was because the company couldn't afford to pay for that copy machine. But here was the cool thing. I was blind to it. I was so pumped and excited to work with a small team of crazies who were hell-bent on changing the world. And in that case, it was changing the way applications were being developed. And so in this startup environment, I was the first one hired in from a marketing perspective. So I took the opportunity to learn everything I could and deep dive on, on the, the functional area of marketing, because if I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. And so uh, what was just amazing was the huge, just great uh, opportunity that I had to learn so much. And just a few years later, that company that couldn't afford to pay for the copy machine went public. I got the bug and never left the startup world. Those types of stories, if you learn how to pick the right startup are possible.
1: I absolutely I find that just titillating, and I want to go back and juxtapose that with just a recent experience that I had. This is back on the heels of how disengaged employees are, Steve. But quickly, I was out um, at one of my favorite places where I do my copying and printing and shipping and had intended to print off something for one of my programs I was doing. And literally, I stood in line for about eight minutes, and nobody said anything. Nobody even looked my way. And then I stood there for another two minutes and literally I watched all the employees in this place look bored out of their mind. And they were no, they were just like listless, like robots. And finally, I stood in that line and I did a Google search for somebody who could do printing for me. And it was sort of someone right across the street. And I picked my feet up and I went right out the door and voted with my pocketbook and my feet and left. Um, it was like, you know, back to what you were saying, it was the opposite of what you just said. It's talk about going through life completely dead. Who wants that?
2: Absolutely. And and that's part of what attracted me to startups. And if you kind of contrast them versus large corporations or the type of experience that you ran into, it's oftentimes what you'll find is that you know, people are hired into pigeonholed smaller roles. They're kind of bored with their job. There's kind of incumbent mindsets. It's There's bureaucracy, acceptance of the status quo. In this case, that poor service, in your case, poor service was okay. And uh, then you sort of contrast that versus a startup. You just can't act that way. So rather than, in many cases, what you see is these, these bigger companies that are giant ships, hard to maneuver, slow to change course, that startups, for me anyways, they're, they're like speedboats darting around those giant <laughs> ships. There's more innovation. Smaller companies, they move fast, much more nimble. There's a better chance perhaps to move up in your career. And, and so there's, there's risk. There's frequent change and, and uh, less training, often less defined career paths. But if you're entrepreneurial, for sure. Uh, the, the the startup is an environment that you really ought to consider.
1: Mm-hmm. And another reason why I wanted to showcase you, Steve, because I really haven't. I've done I've done a lot on on entrepreneurship, but not startups. And so your unique perspective was one that I thought could really advance the conversation, and I, and I think it already has. And um, so to that end, I want to I want to say a little bit more about some stats that you say in your book that are, are quite interesting. Um, you say in your research that you found that in in spite of startups being desperate for hiring, desperate for talent, that fourteen percent of college graduates with bachelor's degrees or higher are unemployed and 43% are underemployed. I just find that astounding. So why aren't they targeting startups?
2: The reason why they're not targeting is if you think about universities and college career days, it's not the startups that are there. They can't Mm -hmm. afford to be there, right? And so, for example, the company that I'm with right now is a company by the name of Dicotic. When I joined there about four years ago, we were eight million in annual revenue. Uh, Four years later, we're $100 in annual revenue. And so the company itself is located corporately in Washington, D.C., and you're never going to see Phycotic, for example, in Lawrence, Kansas, at the University of Kansas at a a recruiting day, right? It's just not going to happen. And probably a lot of startups right inside Lawrence, Kansas aren't going to be there either. And then when you think about those that are graduating college, oftentimes there's this misperception that when they hear the word startup, uh, they immediately think of two things. First of all, they think, well, oh, that means that I've got to start up my own company, and and I'm not Mark Zuckerberg, so uh, so the odds of that being successful are low, too risky. Or they just think that startups themselves are risky, and there's no question that more startups uh, than that uh, will not make it. Uh, In fact, about 70% don't make it. But for me, this is now my seventh startup. And as you mentioned, um, all the six prior have had successful uh, outcomes. So I've kind of learned how to pick the right startup. So how you can reduce that risk. And so you've got to be proactive to go uh, look for these companies. And there's and there's some really cool ways that you could go about uh, doing that as well. That uh, that are really easy, actually.
1: And I know I'll you talk about that. I
2: to one right now if, if you'd Sh- like.
1: Sure, go for it. If you can keep keep it quick, aside. There's so many other things that I want to get out of you too. But and I know you do talk about that in your book. But let's let's have a teaser. Yes, please.
2: Sure. So in, in, in any city across the U.S., there are accelerators right? And these are companies that will be organizations that provide seed capital to these, to these uh, uh, companies and, and in particular technology companies. And if you just Google startup accelerators in the city that you live, you'll see that they'll post uh, all the companies that they're funding. And those companies post jobs across every functional area right on those sites. That's a little known a place to go find some great opportunities that exist right now.
1: Mm, awesome. Well, and while we have a little bit more time, I think it might be fun actually to to share just really what we mean by startups or what you mean by startups. You have a great quote in your book from Chris Kane, the co-founder of C- and CEO of Munch Money, who defines a startup as the largest group of rebels, rule breakers, and unconventional thinkers that you can find to create breakthrough change in the world. That sounds good to me. Sign me up. I love that.
2: Absolutely. And so, let me just put it into context uh, for you. So, according to the United States Small Business Administration, a startup is a company that's been in business for under a year and in the formative stages. And that paints such a poor picture of what actually defines a startup. And Chris Kane's definition, or my friend Doug Irwin, who's chairman of a venture Capital Company, he offers a far more instructive definition, one I like in addition to Chris Kane's, He says that a startup is a company that operates like it's the last frontier for outlaws, a place (laughs) where nonconformists can live, create, and sell their ideas. And to me, that's so cool because who doesn't want to be involved in that? It's a place where you get to be the rough riding rebel running circles around the slow moving bureaucratic large organizations so really a startup is not a company that's defined by size so much it's it's really a culture it's a mindset when i mention a team of crazies hell bent on changing the world that's what a startup actually is
1: mhm and I wanted you to contrast that because it really does—it's just exactly the opposite of what we what we found in that printing and shipping company. By the way, that is very, very large that I talked about before. And I do think—I dare say—that if more of our listeners did join a startup, we wouldn't it, we wouldn't see the dismal engagement numbers that we do. So, thank you for for sharing that and indulging me. And with that, Steve, if we can, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Steve Kahan who is currently the CMO at Psychotic, which will become the seventh company he joined that was. Sold or went public. He's the author of "Be a Startup Superstar: Ignite Your Career Working at a Tech Startup." He joins you today from Sugarland, Texas. We've been talking a bit about his own career and the problems and challenges that are unique in the marketplace today. After the break, we're going to talk more about startups and entrepreneurship. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Back to Working on
1: Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Steve Kahan, who has successfully helped to grow six startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in more than $3 billion in shareholder value. He is currently CMO at Thykotic, which will become the seventh. He has just written a book called Be a Startup Superstar. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Steve, in your book, you also, and also in your TED Talk, by the way, your TED Talk is also great. I really enjoyed that, too. You um, talk about seven traits of successful startup entrepreneurs and really how they act and the attitudes that they share. Can you give us a taste for a few of those traits?
2: Sure. So let me just uh, cover them as I see them. And, again, this is built on the basis of of working with some with some great uh, talent over the course of many years. So first of all, I think I've branded these under what I call seven keys to the C-suite, because if you have these seven traits, you will get there. So first is developing your leadership skills and self-confidence. And that is really key. And and there's a number of things that, that you need to be able to do that, that uh, to to make that real. Uh, second is standing out from the herd, and for me, this is really all about how you go about differentiating yourself when you're at an organization. Third is uh, acting like a leader, even if you don't have the title yet, and that's something that I really did, no matter what role I had at any point in my career, and I, I believe that it's 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 very key. Uh, you must adopt winning work habits. Uh, for example, um, being part of the solution or paying attention to some of the nitty-gritty details without being a control freak, and um, carefully choosing the company that you keep is uh, is one of those uh, uh, seven traits. And finally, embracing the co- the power of kindness, which. Is in short supply in today's world, and I think can go a long way to helping you succeed, and and build on the success that 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 many of your listeners already are achieving.
1: And thank you for doing that for me, Steve. I didn't I didn't necessarily understand that those um those traits were the same ones that I wanted to talk about about keys to the, getting to the C-suite. So now we've got a teaser for for you listeners. If you wrote those down, then after the next break, we're going to talk more in detail about each of those. So if you didn't catch them all, don't worry. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about, then, Steve, is I, I'll just bet that many of our listeners have a as uh, have are, they're holding on to a limiting mindset about startups and what it is they're looking to, how they want to hire, and who they want to hire. Um, and you say in your book that they're that startups are they have big ideas and they're desperate for talent and they're hiring all kinds of people. And you say specifically artsy, technical, young, old, green, experienced, virtual, whatnot. Um, and you also go on to say that startups have, along with those big ideas, a lot of funds, and they need people who can join the team and bring their vision to f- their vi- to help them bring their vision to fruition. And again, that sounds incredibly compelling to me, and I'm certain it would it would it would help reverse some of the trends that we're seeing about how awful work is. Will you say more about what kinds of people startups are looking for?
2: Right. So I think uh, first of all that there's some traits that, that startups look for, that I certainly look for, that I'm hiring, that, that I believe make you a standout candidate at a startup. So let me cover what some of those are. So first of all, it's people who embrace accountability to get things done. People who communicate in thoughtful, smart, confident, and respectful ways. And it certainly catches my eye for someone who asks questions and listens rather than just talks. Ah, uh, someone who is not an I person. And I people, you'll know them because they're the ones that take all the credit for seemingly everything. Versus the <laughs> we people, you'll be working with small teams and very closely with them. And uh, being a a good teammate means that you're you're part of the we people. Uh, someone who's prepared to work hard, uh, because at a startup, really in life, no matter what company you're at. There is no easy button. I certainly believe someone who pays attention to the details. And finally, I think uh, someone who uh, has persistence and tenacity. And the reason why that is so important is that at startups in particular, you are going up typically against bigger, better funded competitors who have all the advantages. And so you're going to run into obstacles along the way. And, You've got to have the persistence to plow through them, not make small obstacles into huge mountains and and really just have the, the tenacity to to stick with it, to hold on one second longer than, than, than the other guy really gives you an opportunity to win and win big. Those are some of the, I think, skills, interests, experience that make you a great standout candidate at a startup. Mm-hmm. No matter what function that you're that you're applying for.
1: Excellent. Well, I want to weave in here some commentary that we're getting from the online chat function here at W4CY. Um, Bill says that, he says, with people not people having everything on the phone, people lack people skills. And so what you talked about is um, the, the importance of being kind, asking good questions. So I want to acknowledge that, uh, to me, that is an illustration of having very good people skills. And then Kim is asking, is it easier to get a job at a startup than it is somewhere else?
2: you know, I don't know that it's a matter of easy versus not easy. There's just so many of them. Right. And so uh, there, and, and another way to find, find them. So I gave you one, uh, let me give the listeners another one. And I get these all the time. Right. And so is to go directly follow some of the startup leaders online, see what they say and what they're communicating about. And, I've had a number of people over the years, uh, for example, that have reached out to me in a sincere, thoughtful way via something like a LinkedIn messenger, right? And so oftentimes what they're interested in is how they could go about achieving the same level of success. And what you'll find is that many executives at startups, they want to pay it forward. They realize that there are people that help them along the way as well, and so don't be dissuaded if if for example you don't get everyone to respond to you you're you're dealing with busy people but more often than not you will get that response and then so long as you're sincere and you're communicating in a heartfelt way and not overly salesy things like that then you could transition the conversation to you where the person that you're talking about could learn a little bit more about you which then opens up opportunities perhaps at that company or through the broader network of that executive that you're speaking to. Directly contacting executives is something that, uh, that uh, those that are looking for jobs just don't do enough of, and it could just pay amazing dividends.
1: That's a great piece of advice, Steve. Great piece of advice, and 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 next, let's surface the actual opportunity here within startups. I was a little bit amazed at the numbers that you quote. Not the, you talk about, of course, there's Fortune, there's for, Fortune five hundred companies, so that means there's five hundred CEOs. That's a limited number of of seats, and they often stay there for quite some time, as you say. But then you compare that to the forty six thousand plus startups in the U. S., and you and you say you you can start to see that there's a lot more executive roles available within them.
2: Yeah, so first of all, let's take a look where jobs are being created. So since 1995, 65% of all new jobs have been created from small and mid-sized businesses. And as you were alluding to, uh, what if you want to eventually get into the C-suite in the Fortune 500? I've got two words for you if that is your goal, and that is good luck. (laughs) And obviously there can only be 500 CEO positions in the fortune 500 and, and maybe 5,000 in the C suite all told. And many of those people stay in their jobs for years. So that means that your odds of getting in the C suite in the fortune 500 are about the same as your odds of being drafted into the national football league where 254 players are selected in each year's NFL draft. Now, Compare this to the over 46,000 startups in the United States alone, you could obviously see there are many more executive leadership opportunities, right? And so if you want to make it to the C-suite, go to where those opportunities are much more available if you do a great job, Uh, and the startup route is without question will provide a, a much greater opportunity for you.
1: Which is just where I wanted to go next, Steve. is I, I want you, if you would, please, to surface for our listeners uh, the many benefits that you see of of joining a, a startup, um, especially in comparison to working for a larger organization.
2: Right. So I think first 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 and foremost, that um, the versatility in roles. So in m- most jobs in big older school companies, uh, sort of, as I mentioned, pigeonhole you in a role, which means that you've got a limited range of authority, uh, where no single individual has the ability to influence the entire company in a significant way. And think about it: you know, when you get hired, you get hired to fill a role in an established business, much like that uh, that person that you ran into that you were uh, making an example of uh, earlier during during this this uh, this show. And so at, at a startup, you get an opportunity to wear many hats by filling different roles within various departments. You also get access to the leaders. So think about it. If if you went and worked at Face Facebook, for example, the odds of you running, getting past the security and seeing Mark Zuckerberg are like zero, right? And so you get access to leaders, right? So so people in entry-level positions work on big, world-changing projects with and alongside the company's leaders, and that just gives you the opportunity to learn so much from those people. Without question, there's more upward mobility, and I also think there's great financial rewards potentially. So at startups, if you choose the right one, um, the financial awards rewards through stock options could potentially be amazing, right? And so what I found, at least for me personally, that if you're investing in the stock market, you're investing in people and companies, you could do some research and limit the risk, but you're really investing oftentimes in companies and people and CEOs that that you just don't know. And so there's risk obviously associated with that. What I've always viewed is I want to make an investment in me, Right, and in the people that I work with, when I where I know what's going on, and if you get in early enough at the right startup and have the opportunity to get stock options, which you should ask for, uh, those you know, oftentimes when you get older, you know, you might make more money, but you know, it's kind of a funny thing. When you start making more money, you you get married, you have kids, you buy a house, you go on vacations, you start buying stuff, and it's hard to get ahead on your base pay and bonuses and for me because my expenses went up along the way it's exactly that story but it's really the stock options that provide you the opportunity for that separation with the uh with the chance at making some bigger gains again so long as you select a a a good one and 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 get in early enough
1: Mm -hmm. great advice steve and with that, let's grab our last break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. we will be on the air with Steve Cahan, who is currently the CMO at Thycodec, which will become the seventh company he has joined that has went, has has sold or went public. He's the author of Be a Startup Superstar: Ignite Your Career Working at a Tech Startup. He joined us today from Sugarland, Texas. We've been talking about startups and entrepreneurship. After the break, we're going to get into those keys to getting into the C-suite that he mentioned earlier. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to working on purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Steve Kahan, who has successfully helped to grow six startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in more than three billion dollars in shareholder value. He is currently the CMO at Psychotic, which will become the seventh. He, he has just written a book called "Be a Startup Superstar." I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Steve, before we get into those those principles that you mentioned earlier, I did want to hit one more thing before, if we can, that you started to allude to and kind of relates over. But you talk about three things that we can use right away to carve our path. Um, and I think they're perfect for whether you're in a startup or not, but certainly in a startup. Would you say though something about those three?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, first, view yourself as a startup. So, the startup of you. So, ask yourself. Why should someone invest in you? How would you respond to that? What's your elevator pitch? What I found is that startup execs, they want to know why you, and they want to know it in the first 60 seconds. So many people memorize elevator pitches for the companies that they work for, but they don't memorize one for themselves. And you absolutely should. Second, when you choose to join a startup, approach that decision as an investor. So, what criteria would you use to join a startup? Can you separate a startup with a good story versus a startup that has both a good story as well as a good chance for success? So, for example, does the company's products have some unique dimension that's valued by its target buyers? And third, create your own personal blueprint to guide your career success. So many of us have created plans for which we're so proud. Those plans of goals, strategies, tactics, key milestones. you might even identify ways to reduce risk. But have you documented a plan for your career? and that plan should contain all the conventional elements like goals uh, and key milestones, but also some unconventional. So, for example, have uh, you defined the type of people you want to surround yourself with at work? And I think uh, Jack Welch uh, who uh, was the former uh, CEO at General Electric. I think he had it right when he said nothing matters more to winning than surrounding yourself with A plus talent. So, uh, what's the type of A plus talent you need around you to bring out the best that you have to offer?
1: Mm-hmm. Association is so powerful. I could not agree more. Thank you for that, Steve. I just thought that those were useful pretty much anywhere we we work, and and they're they're so crisp, so awesome for all of our listeners. Okay, so let's get on to um, some of those seven traits or the or the keys that you say to get into the C-suite. We may not be able to get through all of them, and that's okay, but if we could start with uh, the one that I, of course, I, I really find near and dear to my heart because it's a lot of the work that I do, but you talk about the need to develop leadership skills and self-confidence, um, and I've I've been doing that for years with people, so if, could you say more about your perspective? Why are those things so important to navigate yep. your career and to getting you to C-suite?
2: Right. So, in a small environment, typical small environment of a startup, the higher-ups, they see everything you do. So, nothing will make you stand out faster than leadership skills and self-confidence. And so, you really need to have both of those traits. So, for example, some of the things that I recommend that that you do to, to make that happen uh, one of those is visualizing your success in, until you read, in, until it's real. If you haven't, you need to create a vision for what you want and vi- just visit it often. And so, uh, I know it might sound hokey to create a, a vision board or a picture of yourself uh, for not, example, at, all. not or at all having having some wine uh, on the French Riviera or wherever that that might be. But um, I, I have really uh, used that quite a bit uh, because when you have a strong vision for your success, it will make your outlook far more positive. And that way, even when you experience setbacks, you'll be able to remain undeterred and refocus on your vision, right? And so to me, that, that is, is really key. Um, another one for me that I think is really important is becoming... Uh, an expert, building deep knowledge in one particular area and being a constant learner. I will tell you, in the 30 years that I've uh, been involved in startups, and, and most of them were technology and cybersecurity, is that the world of marketing has completely changed in 30 years. I mean, the things that you did 30 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago, are very different in terms of how you connect with buyers today and what that means is just as soon as you think you've got it all down you learn how much you how little you actually know and so i think those are a couple keys uh and there are more to uh, helping you to develop some of those leadership skills and self-confidence
1: I echo and applaud that, of course, Steve, and I would say certainly, you know, you talk about standing out from the herd, of course, and and a, a big reason that I am where I am in terms of my particular niche is because I've spent the last five years hosting this radio show, and every week I have a great conversation like the one that we're having. And what it's done for me is it's really catalyzed ongoing curiosity and learning and really situated me in in a specific niche around meaning and purpose. Who knew that you could have 259 unique conversations around meaning and purpose? You are my 259th episode. But that's exactly how it happened. So I really appreciate what you said there. It is so important to distinguish ourselves. And so here, here, yes, I agree. Um, another one that I want you to talk about, if you would, because I know Bill had mentioned it earlier in the chat room, because he talked about having people skills. Um, but you talk about embracing the power of kindness. Will you say more about that one? Next.
2: Yeah. So that that is it's so important, right? And so there's this kind of belief that uh, nice guys and gals will finish uh, finish last. I, I, I just I just don't buy that. Um, and I believe that you need to strive for kindness in the workplace because it can actually, in my view, enhance productivity and make others perceive that you're a leader all the while improving the atmosphere of the whole office. And so I think that there's a few few ways to do that. So um, first of all, is walking in other shoes, right? And that really is all about empathy. And so if you want to inspire people to work their hardest to come up with their best ideas or love working with you or for you, you need to understand their feelings and their perspective and really developing that skill to know what to say to motivate those around you and perform at their best is absolutely necessary uh, to, to get to the C suite and, and succeed. And there's a number of ways you could develop empathy by, For example, listening without interrupting, don't try to formulate a response while you're listening, summarize your understanding of what someone said before you're talking, find common ground, ask empathetic questions like, uh, what's on your mind or how do you feel this new project is, is going, 360 feedback sessions. Things like getting to know your team, for example, at our organization, we oftentimes will... Uh, go around the room and with a team or a new team and, and learn about the one thing that nobody else knows about you that you might share. And one other thing I would say is that is so important, and this is so overlooked, is to say thank you and mean it. And gratitude is contagious, and people just don't say thank you enough. And And even if you're not getting enough thank yous, you could be the catalyst. You could be the one to... Started. And appreciation is one of the easiest ways to make someone's day. You could say it face-to-face, you could write a short note, you could write an email with thank you in the subject line, send a quick text, go shake someone's hand. There's so many ways to, to do it that helps to improve the, your environment and, and really in, in your overall job satisfaction because you'll feel great just doing it.
1: Mhm. Completely agree that kindness when exercised well and you can you can see easily you can readily identify when an organization is operating from kindness the second you walk through the, the front doors right and and the other thing that I would say to what you're what you're talking about there Steve is I would certainly position in the the phrase emotional intelligence which is very well talked about today and everything that you that you described I think fits under that umbrella um and I find that more and more hard driving people are starting to recognize the importance of inculcating these kinds of behaviors that you just described so beautifully. So awesome contribution, Steve. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about this. One of the others that I want to talk about for sure, because I think it's terribly lost, in, especially in hard driving people, is you talk about taking care of what matters as being one of those keys to getting to the C-suite and those those seven principles. Say more about that one.
2: Yeah. So This is one of the big reasons why people choose not to join startups. And I will tell you, I was not really great at this in the beginning of my career, but I learned. And and here's what I've learned, is that in my case, I'm kind of a workaholic, and yet I've figured out how to spend uh, enough time uh, with my family, and here's how I do it, and here's what I'm going to go encourage your listeners to, to do right now. So the first thing is, is that you've got to be your own top priority. So many people, and if you're anything uh, like me, that you manage your days and weeks by your calendar. And is the most important item on your calendar you? Are you priority number one? And so right now, go open your calendar and see if if it reflects this, if the most important item on your calendar is is you. And I'll bet if you're checking your calendar right now and you're looking to see how many appointments you have with yourself this week, I'll bet you there's too few. And think about some of the time that then is slipping by. For example, if you blocked off time for yourself and your family, you might be able to get in extra workouts, not miss uh, a kid's game. Uh, build in time on your calendar such that you can go uh, educate yourself and learn more or to think more strategically, right? And so not letting someone uh, go grab that open time on your calendar with another soul-sucking meeting that really just doesn't offer uh, any uh, way of helping you advance the completion of your core objectives. And so, if you put yourself as the most important priority on your calendar first, uh, you will find that um, that you are taking care of what matters, which is yourself and your family while being your best at work.
1: Yes, and what I love about that when you shared it just the way I hoped that you would, in that, you know, entering it, scheduling it as an occasion on your calendar, too take your family to dinner, to go to the yoga class, to study Spanish or whatever you're going to study. Well, one, it, it looks like it work event anyway, so you should recognize it as such and honor it that way. Um, and two, when you do block it off like that, it's easier for you to follow through with it. So I think that is really sage advice and, and really easy just to start doing tomorrow.
2: It's so easy, right? And you could put in there like if you hadn't been home to have dinner with your family often enough block off that time and it and it's really a little bit and I really don't like this phrase work-life balance I, I heard a phrase the other day called work-life harmony
1: yes that's like more it than... so
2: much better
1: mm-hmm. because
2: it work-life balance suggests that there's a right and a wrong answer and then people get stressed out right it's like I'm out of balance and but if you view it as more of sort of ebbs and flows, you don't have to be perfect, right? You just need to be maybe good enough for you, right? And then that's really what you should be shooting for. It takes a lot of weight off your shoulders.
1: It does. And I agree with you. It is that the best, the most modern phraseology today is work-life harmony, and which, you know, predate or outdates the others that came before it, like balance, et cetera. Um, let's see, we have time for maybe one more of those principles, Steve, which one would you like to talk about and share with our listeners and say a minute or minute and a half?
2: So I think we talk a little bit about differentiation and how to differentiate your, yourself. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, offer up one and that is to, uh, regularly challenge the status quo. So we've all heard things, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the way we've always done things around here. And it's, the status quo is strong and it can permeate a culture for keeping a company in the current state of affairs because it's comfortable, predictable, and less risky. But growth oftentimes requires change, right? And so you don't want to be the constant contrarian, challenging everything, but Uh, But the pace of change is incredible, and our ability to keep up with it just isn't. And so you simply can't achieve and build on success if you continue to do the same things. It's one way to differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm.
1: Excellent. Well, I want to be sure and give you the final words, Steve. I'd like to give my guests the final final thought here on the show. And you know this program is really designed to help people across the world develop more meaning, passion, inspiration, purpose in their lives and their work. What would you like to leave listeners with today, say, in about 30 seconds?
2: So today's startups have big ideas, and they're well-funded. And they're desperate to hire smart, motivated, hardworking people willing to share their talents in innovative workspaces that are buzzing with energy and opportunity. And if you want to earn a great living doing what you love for the right startup, you could be a godsend.
1: Way to finish, Steve. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you and your team found me and you came on the show and shared your your heart, your soul, your enthusiasm, and your expertise. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Listeners, if you want to learn more about Steve Kahan and his TED Talk or his book, Be a Startup Superstar, go to the website ba a Startup Superstar.com. That's where you can actually find the TED Talk and access to his book. You can get it on Amazon as well, by the way. That's where I got mine. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Mike Coles talking about how his own experience of being a traveling professional away from his young son set him on a journey to create an app that allows distant parents to read to their children using their own voice while also meaningfully connecting family members and teaching language and comprehension skills. Next week we'll be on the air with Nadalette Lafontasies talking about her remarkable journey from her uber successful French businesswoman to paraplegic to fulfilled writer and motivational speaker. See you there! Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host Alice Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose. At work.